Pius XIII was a great poem. But life evolves in spite of us. I'm the new poem. Who is the Pope now? Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode four of Papal Bull Resurrection, the world's only podcast about the young and new Pope extended universe. I'm Fanbyte Chief Theological Correspondent Eric Thurm. Uh, and I'm uh, Features and Trending Editor. I had to think about that for a second. Like, wait, what is my title again? Yeah, Features and Trending Editor. Uh, no special Pope you, you've been- expertise, but. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say you've been reconfirmed in your position as as fanbite uh, yes, features editor? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, Merrick Kay and um, and, yeah, and we, uh, we guest today. Yes, our guest this week is the original bad boy of TV criticism, Shanti Collins, who has written for the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, Vulture, Decider, and many more publications. I think unequivocally one of, if not the best TV critics working right now. Incredibly excited to have Sean, also one of the rare uh, critics who was correct about how good the young Pope was. Unbelievably excited to have you on this episode. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Also, Eric, I want to point out uh, you missed something very important, which is that Sean did a project last year where he wrote an essay every day about one of my favorite movies of all time, Roadhouse. Yes, that's true. Uh, to all of the people working in publishing who listen to this podcast, turn it into a book, please. I need to read please, it. Please, please. <laughs> I'll say please, too. Please. Uh, yeah. And, and Sean also wrote a piece about the new pope and the faces of the new pope uh, for the outline that we'll get into in a little bit. But I want to start us off the way that we now traditionally start all of our guest segments uh, with a segment I like to call confessionals, uh, in which our guest talks to us a little bit about their relationship to Catholicism uh, and to the young and new Pope extended universe, which I know is sort of like a meaty subject for you and probably more interesting than ours. <laughs> yeah, I guess interesting's a word for it. Sure. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, well, what do you want to know? Um, maybe sort of in, in broad strokes, you can tell us about your, maybe tell us a little bit about how you felt, when you watched the first season, uh, watched the young Pope. Cause I know my experience of it is very different as sort of a Jewish person who has been long fascinated with the aesthetics of Catholicism, as opposed mm -hmm. to having, you know, a, a sort of very particular and like unpleasant relationship with the church. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, as you might be able to guess from a name, Sean Collins, I'm an Irish American. Uh, I was raised Catholic. I went to an all boys Catholic high school called Chaminade. Um, which is also where the actor Brian Dennehy and the Senator Al D'Amato and the political pundit Bill O'Reilly went in their days. Um, and I Wonderful. have been basically a lapsed Catholic since at some point during that stint in high school. And that was really kind of my first immersion really into the aesthetics of Catholicism because you're just surrounded by it all day. You know, having gone to a public elementary school and a public middle school, you know, I, I hadn't got my Catholic education through what would be called CCD, um, you know, at Wednesday afternoons. And so, you know, I had my 
confession and communion and confirmation, the big, the three C's and all that. And, you know, but then in high school, I was taught by an order of uh, brothers called the Marianists and it sucked. It was a weird uh, kind of gross environment in a lot of ways. Um, the, like the, the, the best way I can sum it up is that in sophomore year history of religion class, the brother who was teaching it said the Inquisition had its good points. <laughs> and just that, and just that inflection, I can remember, I can hear it in my head now still. Um, so, you know, and then since then it came out that, uh, the pastor of my parish where I grew up, uh, was a child molester and the, he wasn't the, pre- the president of the university, which, uh, sorry, the high school means like they're not just the principals in charge of educational stuff. They're in charge of all like the alumni outreach and the coordinating with the religious order and whatnot. The president of my school, he wasn't, wasn't then he was just a teacher. Um, just one of the brothers who taught, uh, was also exposed as having had like a relationship with a student. And he is now ensconced in the Vatican, which is where Jesus. a lot of these people wind up. Um, so I'm pretty hostile to Catholicism. That's yeah, we, and, a, as a and going yet, concern. You you love the show, yes. Um, and and sort of what like what is that tension or like what does it look like for you to watch this thing that is like so immersed in in the church? Well, I mean, the best way I can describe it is that I love The Exorcist. I don't believe in anything that happens in The Exorcist. I don't believe in demonic possession. I don't believe that priests can cast demons out. I don't believe in priests or demons, but uh, I still appreciate what that film does. I think it's still scary and gorgeous and really impeccably acted uh, by Ellen Burstyn and Jason Miller. And just, you know, it's, it's still a great film. And that's, I guess it's really not much more complicated than that. Like, I don't know if I've ever really sat and thought like, what is my Catholicism or my, you know, my ex Catholicism? How does it inform my experience of the young Pope? And I don't really know if it does like, cause it's interesting. I, I, I do know a lot of people who, who, you know, as you said, Eric are kind of fascinated with the aesthetics of Catholicism and it is, you know, a beautiful religion to look at. Like the outfits are cool and like the, a lot of the churches are pretty cool looking. Um, I, I, I just kind of take it for granted, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that makes it easier to, to, you know, since it's all just kind of like background radiation in my life, it's mm-hmm. easier to just sort of, I, I'm not like dumbstruck by it the way. I think a lot of critics were kind of confounded by the artifice and the spectacle of the show. Like, I'm just like, yeah, okay. And I just kind of appreciate it for what it is and, and think about the issues that it raises and enjoy the performances and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, that I've never really thought about it like that hard. So I may mm-hmm. be incoherent, but that's, that's my, that's my thinking. No, that makes it, that's a, a totally reasonable confession. I definitely was dumbfounded uh, and extremely enthralled by the aesthetic mm-hmm. to the point where I now have a podcast about it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's funny, like, and I think this is a, a good way for us to pivot into talking about the show, that there is obviously this sort of like 
the fact that it's fictional, like maybe it feels obvious and boring to say, but it does make it easier to think about. Cause like when you said, you know, the thing that your teacher said, if I imagined Voyello saying the inquisition had its good points, like it would be hilarious. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that I think is important to bring up too. Like, most of these characters believe things I really don't believe and I'm pretty vehemently opposed to. And that was certainly true of Lenny Bellardo, uh, who was a conservative Catholic and really kind of dictatorial about it. And this is obviously, I think, a debate that comes up in all kinds of forms with all kinds of media and all kinds of art. Um, but you don't need to – you can make – you can tell stories about people who believe things you don't without it being an endorsement of that behavior mm. or that ideology. And I think that's important. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that, Sean. <laughs> if Twitter has taught me anything, it's that Lenny was punished by God by falling into a coma for being a bad man. It's because well, he watched it's because he watched Big Mouth. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess that's one interpretation. Sure. But this show, I feel like. It this, it doesn't fall into the prestige TV trap of like bad man is actually really cool. Like even Lenny in the first season isn't that right. There's more complexity to these characters. Like they they fundamentally believe different things than most of the people watching it, uh, rather than just sort of being like you know the Gundam the meme of like Gundam shooting over someone like critique of power or whatever and they're just like wow cool gangsters yeah yeah um because it's a it's so strange the show uh Mm -hmm. like the rhythms of it are not traditional like prestige tv rhythms and i say that as a fan of a lot of prestige tv including basically all of the the big guns in Mm -hmm. the 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 subgenre of of drama whatever you would want to call it um it makes it kind of you know, because usually the, the the I don't know how to put it, but you have the the central bad man, and you discover just how bad they are, and it's the char- other characters wrestling with that, and it's they themselves wrestling with that, and that leads to some sort of climax where the chickens either come home to roost or don't in a sort of pointed way, mm-hmm. and that's really not Lenny Bellardo who is, um you know, kind of wrestling with his faith from the start, which I think cuts against, um, you know, the, the, that sort of, you know, I guess Walter White type mode. He's such a questing character, despite feeling that he's entitled to everyone just doing what he says. Um, you know, he, the, that, that complexity in him, makes it hard to file the show away uh, with, you know, a lot of its sort of comparable work on television. He, he also, he also is the Pope though. Like, I, I feel like that's like one thing that I really keep coming back to that. So many of these other shows are about men who, you know, sort of have this like enormous chip on their shoulder. That's related to them, not having the power that they think that they're entitled to, uh, but obviously, especially in Lenny's case, he like does have that, at least sort of in the context of his relationships with other people in the church, they like mostly have to do what he says, right. um, which, which, you know, sort of relates to 
the like character study of this very powerful man, which I think is a good way to bring us into the beginning of this episode, um, which I can't believe we haven't mentioned yet. So this is this is the Marilyn Manson episode. And I <laughs> I I really would love to just, Sean, hear your sort of thoughts on this uh, as both a scene that's like about John Paul III, but also uh, as a sort of entry into the the Marilyn Manson artistic oeuvre. Uh, if you if you're interested in hearing more about this, Sean uh, did an episode of and introducing the podcast of our guests last week, Chris Wade and Molly O'Brien. That is really fantastic. I learned a lot about Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I, I liked the scene, obviously. I mean, I was laughing the moment I saw what was going on and stayed laughing pretty much throughout the whole thing. I think it shows, if nothing else, that Manson has a sense of humor about himself, which he always has. Um, but just this is kind of a different like he wasn't really playing with like, oh, I'm shocking mm-hmm. um, and 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 playing against type, which I think is a lot where a lot of or playing to type to a ridiculous degree, like, say, in his cameo and Tim and Eric awesome show great job which is like it's probably 10 years old at this point where he plays like the dark man who's in charge of these birds that are attacking their eyes or whatever um here he's just kind of like dopey and and just seems like a bit of a sort of stupid out of touch rock star um who's trying very desperately not to embarrass himself and then realizes he has embarrassed himself by not not knowing which Pope he's talking to. And then mm-hmm. there's that sinking feeling that you can you can see in him where he's like, oh, I've been in the studio, like <laughs> not really following the news. I really enjoyed that. And um, I, I'm very curious to see going forward, like, is this a struggle for John Paul III to just be a person that other people – recognize as existing um he's been so used to it it seems at least from the what we learned about his family situation that whatever his reputation as sort of a a dashing figure amongst english uh aristocrats and his reputation among catholics for being able to convert anglicans he's just kind of been used to being faded into the background. Like he, the episodes that take place in his mansion or his castle, he seems like part of the furniture really. Mm-hmm. And that I think will probably be an obstacle to his papacy is if people are just like, Oh yeah, the the new, much less interesting Pope. Great. It's, it's th- that scene is so embarrassing for everyone because you have to imagine like, the chain of events that led to this happening because he he had made the list of famous people that he liked. And you have to imagine that like Sophia emailed Marilyn Manson's publicist and was like, the Pope wants to meet Marilyn. And Marilyn Manson was like, great, I love the Pope. <laughs> and and like, like he's embarrassing himself because he doesn't know who the Pope is. And like John Paul III is getting dunked on by like this guy that he ostensibly loves who like doesn't know who he is. It's just, it's so painful. I think it's the closest that this season has come to like straight up cringe, uh, you know, in a way that I think a lot of the first season like sort of does. And yeah, I, I yeah. really, really enjoyed it for that. Well, I like too how the Pope has like nothing to say to Marilyn Manson. Like he's like on his list of people that he thinks are very free, but it's almost like he actually doesn't know anything about him. He's like heard about him and saw that episode of Clone High that he was in. <laughs> but like, He's just kind of sitting there like, oh, thanks for this painting. Like, right. um, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Like, he seems so awkward, too, even before uh, he's mistaken for Lenny. I think I the painting thing is great, too, because, again, it shows, like, Marilyn Manson has a sense of humor about his, his sort of dilettantism. Uh, obviously, there's been tons and tons and tons and tons of rock stars who are also painters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I just got a kick out of uh, Brannock's just looking at it being like, interesting. Like, <laughs> <I'm> immediately profiling <laughs> it away. <laughs> yeah, that's going in like the Vatican basement forever. It's, go- it's going in the bunker. Yeah. It's not uh, going next to the Venus of Willendorf in Voyello's apartment. God, which is so let's let's skip ahead to that actually because I, I I like I'm so happy that I, it's there. Mary- so I missed this the first time that we watched it. Like I, I I knew that he had sort of like hidden it away from Francis, but I thought he had just put it somewhere else in the Vatican. The fact that he just like took it and it like just put it in his apartment is like it rules. Unreal. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a spank so bank. Oh, I love Foyello's such a king. Uh, yeah. He, I mean, maybe he he can hang up the Marilyn Manson painting in the same space. Yeah, and right. they, they they don't even like like even if he had the sort of like most basic knowledge of Marilyn Manson's career, you could sort of imagine them having like a very overwrought conversation about theology, or like ju- like Brannock's trying to have that conversation and then realizing that like Marilyn Manson doesn't want to have it, and it's just like he doesn't even try because I, I I don't know I can't even imagine. Brannock's like listening to Marilyn Manson. Like I'm, I'm trying to imagine it and it just like does not make sense to me. Yeah. He seems like someone who's just aware of Manson as a, as a, as a personage. Um, and yeah, cause you could have a conversation with him about, I don't know, Satanism, for example, and the fact that he's like ordained by the church of Satan or like was very early on in his career and how Satanism and the church of Satan is sort of like inverted Catholicism in a lot of ways. And you could talk to him about what it was like to record any Christ superstar. I don't fucking know. Like there's all <laughs> kinds of things you could do. Um, you know, just even, even that phrase just seems like very meaty if you're this sort of aesthete Pope, but it, it, it is like, he's just like, he did it. He, he had this meeting cause it was on sort of his bucket list, but he never really thought through what the meeting would entail. Well, he's like a fan meeting someone like at a convention or something and just being like, hey, I love your work. And then just sort of like standing there and the person's like, "Uh, so is this over or like, except he's the Pope. So like he's (laughs) Marilyn Manson is just kind of like stuck there. Like, okay, so this guy just just has me trapped. Uh, I loved your speech that you didn't give. Yeah. (laughs) And then when you had a heart attack at the end of that speech, unbelievable, just like really fantastic stuff. (laughs) It's also extremely funny that Marilyn Manson knows about the Venice speech, but doesn't know that it ends with him collapsing and going into a coma. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) He just saw like a clip of it. (laughs) On YouTube? No, not even on YouTube. He saw like one of those like uh, social media videos with like text at the bottom. Oh, with the captions, with yeah. The captions that's not like meant to be listened this. to with the audio yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. He said the now this version of that speech. <laughs> uh, and it's it's funny because, like, I don't know. He, this is only a couple minutes at the the beginning of the episode, but it does really lay a foundation for like what John Paul the Third is doing for the rest of the episode because he clearly, Sean, like you said, like 
he he's struggling with the fact that he now like wants to be seen and wants to be known yeah and that but nobody is willing to pay attention to him even though he's the pope and he's there's like this moment where he says you know everyone should know who the pope is it's not vanity it's necessity and it's like i think you're projecting dude i don't i don't i don't know about that i think basically he's like taking charge of this unsteady institution that is in like a really bad spot and for people to not know who the pope is is i think a pretty big problem (laughs) um and people should know his styles but they don't know his style they don't know his style Mm -hmm. yeah but he he needed manson to suggest to him to visit bellardo in the first place yeah which seems like such a slam dunk pr thing anyway uh that it's surprising that he needed it suggested to him yeah, and then and that he he like I don't know. It's just like a ma- the Pope taking like sort of like official suggestions for Marilyn Manson is very good. Uh, and he's like, oh, like did you go visit him? Like did you see how he's doing? And he just doesn't hasn't even considered it. Right. Um, and then, Isn't he I mean, like I've, visit who? <laughs> uh, I do. I really love like because in that scene you have this extremely well-staged photo op that Sophia has set up where they're on, you know, they're on a boat uh, in the Venice canals and just there are like fleets of paparazzi uh, taking photos of him while he like stands very dramatically at the back of the boat. And it's like, yeah, like if I could sort of like set up photo shoots like this, like I would look great. Like I I would have loved to do that for my, my hot boys for Bernie uh, uh, photo shoot. He's a bad pope, but he's a very good celeb, I think. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, oh, no, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that I also think that even there, though, he's showing off for the cameras in lieu of showing off for Sophia herself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's that long lingering shot where he's looking at her in the prow God, of the boat or whatever. So and that's when he decides to stand up and... And let the cameras get a good look at him. Like, yeah, he can't he can't own up to how much he wants to be looked at by this woman. Uh, so he has to be looked at by other people instead. Well, it's it's not I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's not because he's into her. It's because he has an admiration for well-read women. That's why he doesn't miss Meghan Markle. <laughs> God, just stop dunking on Meghan. What did she do to you? I don't like Meghan, I guess. He's he. He's just negging Megan to get to Sophia. That's like his tactic. Yeah. He's just like, oh, mm-hmm. like I used to be with this chick and like she sucks. He's literally doing a you're not like other girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which she also gets from her husband. Because then her husband later in the episode is like seeing you surrounded by all those men. Like, which sucks. I hate Call him so much. Call the pervert police yeah, on this he's man. The you worst. see him? Uh, he sucks so bad. Just to look at. He's wearing a bow tie to this like black tie event. Which like... Fuck off, you know. Just I appreciate fuck off. his his bullet shaped head. He's <laughs> <laughs> got That's, that great noggin. He does have like yeah. If he were like being fired out of a cannon, <laughs> he would have really good um like drag. You know, he would be yeah, a really yeah. good Angry Birds. Oh yes, yes, he would be a great Angry Bird. Uh, well, it, it's it's funny because this one of the big threads in this episode, I feel like, is we sort of get to know all of the characters that I think I can, I feel comfortable saying are like more sort of like seemingly villainous. The conspirators. Yeah. Basically. In, in uh-huh. the season. 
Um, and all of them have like excellent heads, right? Like his head, Spoletta's like weird face with the sort of like lick that goes across his forehead. We get a couple of really good shots of like Bauer's face. Um, the Minister of Finance has yeah. like that really dopey face, but those huge eyebrows. Mm-hmm. He looks uh, like Radagast the Brown. <laughs> <laughs> which which maybe maybe is a good way for us to segue into do we should we talk about uh Sean's piece in the outline now. Yeah. Let's do it. Talk about it. So yeah, Sean, you, you wrote this really fantastic piece about, I think one of our favorite topics, uh, the faces of the show. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about sort of maybe what was the first face in, in the young Pope where you were like, wow, this is a thing that the show really does differently than like most other TV. Um, I think it's probably, you know, I mean, I think it's as early as the it's the dream speech from the young pope and these sort of extremely Italian close ups of all these strange looking men in like bright red outfits. Um, it, it, it was such a departure from the kind of studied realism of a lot of tel- TV drama. And it hit me right away, you know, but over time you develop an appreciation for how individual characters look. You know, I think Javier Kamara is a great example, like his like the softness of his features and sort of the roundness of his beard and his head. And, uh, you know, with his like his very dark brown eyes sort of recessed into his that softness a bit like there's something very striking and dignified in his face that is reflected in how he carries himself as a person and his own struggles and doubts and things like that. And, um, and then, you know, when, when it became this joke in the first episode of the new Pope, that there were two Cardinals who looked exactly alike, you know, played both played by Silvio Orlando. Then I just like, well, you have to think about it now. I mean, his face is the whole point. There's this little speech that I lead the, um, the piece with where, uh, Cavallo, his, his major domo or whatever, you know, is pointing out like how ordinary his face is now ordinary his build is except for the one, you know, the mole, which is just serves to emphasize the mediocrity of everything. Else. <laughs> it's like, first of all, it's like fantastic that uh, Orlando is a good sport and allows himself to be talked about like this. And second, that's just cool and interesting to me. You know, one of the things I say is that there's, there's, Different dramas have on TV have taken different approaches to casting, um, you know, and, and there have been great dramas that I love a lot, like Mad Men, that are almost exclusively about hot people, but they're really about hot people. It's not just like a CW vampire right. or superhero show or like a cop, a police procedural on network TV where everyone just sort of looks nice in that way that people who are actors professionally in Hollywood look nice. Um there's a point to what Mad Men was doing. Uh, other shows less so, you know, and then I, I also, com- I compare it um, up top, to, like, you know, for- foremost to The Sopranos and Twin Peaks The Return, which are two shows that uh, really cast non-traditionally. And it was about how they were both kind of about how people who look the way these people look move in the world and how people think of them and react to them. And I think that's what the, the, the Pope shows are about too. A, a lot of really good Italian faces in both cases. 
I feel yeah. like you could mostly swap a lot of the actors. Like, there are just a lot of people on The Sopranos. I think I maybe even said this last week, but I, I think it's worth repeating. You could swap a lot of actors on The Sopranos and just kind of like put them in the cardinal outfits and it would look basically fine. That's true. That's Which true. Is my way of saying I just want to see Tony Sirico in the, the, <laughs> the cardinal, you know, in the in the cardinal gear. Um, well, this, mm-hmm. I, I just as a quick aside, um, this is one thing that sort of does distance me from the aesthetics of the young pope is that I'm an Irish Catholic, and we are not represented in the show. It's mm. about Italian Catholics, and on Long Island where I grew up, you know, that's sort of like the big instead of having rival sports teams, you have rival, like, you know, New York outer borough ethnics, um, whose grandparents moved to the suburbs. And now there's all these Italian and Irish kids running around, uh, not liking the others. <laughs> so it is, that that is one thing that, um, you know, I, I do sort of have an outsider's perspective on Italian Catholicism and Irish Catholicism have kind of different emotional valences. The color palette's different, if you will. It, it's funny because you would you would imagine that that Branix would have opinions about Irish Catholicism, right? And he doesn't talk about it ever, and no one asks him about it. Yeah, especially him, and especially Irish Catholicism. You would think, although it sounds like his specialty was outreach and uh, evangelicalism uh, more than. Um, you know, actually dealing with the the kind of the crisis in the church that has really basically destroyed the church in Ireland, which is a remarkable thing that happened, you know, in our lifetimes. Hmm. Yeah. Um. We we have got. I, I maybe want to go back to um, Gutierrez's face a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because we we have a couple of really really good shots of his face in this this episode. Uh, in a plot that we get, and I think like three pretty short scenes um, in which Freddy, who, if you have not watched The Young Pope recently, uh, is this boy that he became friends with, this young man that he became friends with um, who, uh, during the process of his sort of like trip to New York when he was doing a, a sting to try to nail down uh, this archbishop for for child molestation. Uh, he he, I guess, comes to Rome, and he he Gutierrez meets him, and they in the first shot, the first scene, they're sitting in this restaurant on the same side of the table, and he he Freddie holds his hand out, and Gutierrez very gingerly puts his hand into Freddie's hand, and then, um, you know, we we see them sitting shirtless on on a bed, uh, which feels striking. Both given that Gutierrez, I would say, is like the most, probably the most devout of all of the main characters, the one that you would be like the the most surprised to hear had sinned. Uh, and also, it just, I don't know, it like is nice, but also a little sad in some ways. I don't know, how, how did you feel about this like turn for for him? I mean, I was surprised. I, I don't know that I want to say shocked, um, because I think having characters sort of betray their own ideals is a big theme of, of the shows. And certainly in this episode, um, you see it again, sort of with Esther doing something that she initially had, you know, the sort of great resistance to doing sexually. Um, but 
you know, in 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 the the, the sequence in, of events involving Freddie, and then also just in little things like when John Paul III says he's going to go visit Pius, there's just a little glimmer of appreciation and gratitude that flits across Gutierrez's face, and um, because he's so controlled a, a, as a person, and his face is so placid like these little things these little uh deviations from the norm for him they have a lot more weight i think a lot more impact yeah he and it it feels sort of especially meaningful um after the scene that he has in episode two with ascente where he he uh, i don't know i think if i was ascente i would feel very pissed um at having been curved that aggressively in episode two uh and and then but then we get this this like bizarre new confessional setup where Gutierrez confesses to the Pope and then the Pope confesses to Gutierrez and he basically uses it to imagine uh boning down with Sophia because he has it real bad for her. And he, he imagines a glory hole. Uh, or I don't know. It's actually it's not quite clear when the imagination ends and when what actually is going on in her relationship with Thomas, her husband, begins. Perhaps they do have an actual glory hole in their apartment. It would not um, surprise me. No, sure, yeah, based on what we know. Uh, and you know what? What is a glory hole? But like, uh, you know, a dividing barrier through which you know these two people have this. Sort of, you know, semi-anonymous connection, not unlike a Catholic confessional. Oh, damn! That's a really good connection that I had not thought of. Uh, yeah, this, this is this is where being this is where being a lapsed Catholic pays off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is helpful. Thank God we we have this uh this perspective on the the glory holes because you do like it. It, it seems like yeah, it, Gutierrez and Freddie are like engaging in this also as like a weird sort of alternate form of, of confession because he, he talks about the fact that they also did that, although we, we don't see it in quite the same way. Um, and, and, but this also is the, the moment where, uh, this is also the moment where the Pope, where Branix admits that he knows that he sort of is starting to take these like very bad dramatic steps um, that will under he steps into I think the garden of sin he calls it mm-hmm. uh, that then gets sort of conflated with a lot of the rest of the indiscretions people are doing over the course of the episode um, which which maybe is a good way for us to move to talking about maybe our second least favorite guy on this episode maybe third uh Spoletta so hard to choose yeah mm-hmm. um Mary, do you have, do you want to sort of start by giving us your thoughts about uh, the esteemed Cardinal Spalletta. Yeah. I mean, we're introduced to this guy as like a total creep and uh, he kind of just delivers like on that promise, you know, in a big way. So the first time we heard, we see him is in the bunker, right? Yes, I believe so. And uh, where he's conferring with his associates about basically blackmailing the Pope. And uh, in this episode, he comes right out and says like, in the Vatican, you know, there's two ways of doing things. It's either blackmail or uh, benevolence. And he's basically, he's like uh, trying to give the Pope a Bentley, which we learned that he bought last week. Um, but it wasn't for him. It was, uh, he's like, I heard you only liked Bentleys. So I got you this car. And like the Pope no is dog. immediately just like. I heard you like Bentleys. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> I heard you like old memes. <laughs> I heard you like mudkips. Um, Jesus. This poop does like, definitely does like old memes. I mean, yeah. they're the only memes he knows, but uh, <laughs> he's just like really into Mr. T8, my balls. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he immediately sees like what's going on. And uh, and Spoleto's trying to like get cozy with him, and it's like, oh, remember all the good times we shared as youth in the same. We slept in the same room, and then uh, Branix is just like, oh, oh, yeah, I remember you were fucking the whole time. Well, for like, you were like fucking kids the whole time, or something. He he first he first says because first Spoleto says. Do you still sleep with the silver box next to your bed, which oh, is the blackmail yeah. material, right? Because sort of we still what's in the box? Yeah, we're making a sort of brief transition into our what's in the box segment. Um, I don't know, Sean. Do you have any any thoughts about what's in the box besides our sort of prevailing theory that it probably is some sort of opiate? I don't have any idea what's in the box, and I I, I um I don't I one of sort of my my core I wouldn't even say convictions, but just sort of. Uh, compulsions as a TV critic is not to guess things. I just don't like guessing because um, I think I was I think I was scarred by uh, reading too much about Lost mm-hmm. when Lost was going on, and there would be these you know these endless reviews that would be like it's about nanotechnology, and like the very next week you know your three thousand word essay about why it's nanotechnology is like proven wrong because it's some <laughs> ancient Roman you know or whatever like. So I, I I hesitate to guess. It's more fun for me to like just find out when they're ready to tell me. Um, so I, I don't really – I have no idea. That's so reasonable and like lame, you know? <laughs> yeah, how are we supposed to generate traffic with that? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I, I do think it's enough to say like at least on the level of the information that we're being given – that the the box is the blackmail material. So even if we don't know what it is, uh, Spoleto says... It's his brother's bones. Yeah, that would be sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you still sleep with the box next to your bed? To to which Branix responds, uh, I recall you had an endless stream of young visitors, and then they just sort of are at an impasse. Although before that, uh, Spoleto is like, oh, do you remember when we were young? And he's just like, all I remember about my youth is my brother, Adam. It's like, this guy is a fucking like NPC from a video game. And like, all he says is like, <laughs> dot, 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 Adam, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Sailor Jupiter talking about the guy who broke her heart. Oh, my God. <sighs> he just keeps trying to <laughs> trying to give you the quest. Just like, and everything is all tragic flashbacks. Yeah. He, I mean, he is a sad old anime man. Uh, yeah. Who also says a weird, uh, very kind of anime thing uh, almost immediately afterward when he gets asked about what appointment he's going to make uh, or or what what is it that Spoletta asks him? Um, yeah, he just says he has appointments to make and uh, I forget, but he's like, I never answer important questions in the evening. Uh, yeah, which, you know, we sort of get this picture of Branix as having all of these, like, really regimented rules that he has, not just to make him mysterious, um, but also so that he can, like, protect himself, uh, because, you know, he, he basically has, like, a, it seems to have a lot of doubt and fear that if he breaks any of those rules, um, you know, he, he just, uh, he's gonna go down a bad path. 
Yeah, I get the impression that routine is how he powered himself through his decades of living with his grieving parents and the memory of his brother. Um, you know, they just the routine kind of became the architecture of his life. And I, I'm actually kind of surprised that he's hasn't had more trouble acclimating himself to being someplace else and having one presumes some obligations that carry him a bit outside of his comfort zone in terms of what he does and when he does it and with whom he does it. Um, it does seem like it helps that a lot of those obligations are about people paying attention to him. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he, and he, he sort of does uh, like let those boundaries keep him at a distance. Uh, and he sort of, you know, even though we spend so much time with him in these personal moments, there are other characters for whom he's just like this incredibly distant, unattainable force. And of course, I'm I'm talking about the nuns um, because we also get some major developments in the the uh, nun Voyello beef plot this episode, which I really, really love um, in which, you know, uh, the the nuns in. Oh, in which the nuns go on strike um, and are now uh, occupying the Sistine Chapel. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is really interesting. And somehow nobody knows about it. That, yeah, they, they have they practice really good OPSEC at, at this Vatican. So, yeah, at, at this point, uh, the nuns demands have not been met. And they have now gone on strike and occupied the Sistine Chapel, which is just an incredible concept. Sister Lisette and the, the abbess uh, go to meet with Voyello and the their meetings are just really this whole the, their scenes really have this air of like fencing that I feel like a lot of the first, you know, that the young Pope had and that this season hasn't really had where they just are engaged in this like incredible game, this like tactful uh, game. You know, there there's this moment where Voyello uh, asks them to make a list of all of the cardinals that are bad, and Sister Lisette says, "You'll will be dismissed as tattlers, and also you'll have blackmail material." And Voyello just like laughs and says, "This will be a long war, though it will end as they all do with my victory." Uh, and it just feels like this nice little subplot where everything feels lighter, even though the stakes are still pretty high. I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about the the nun developments? Well, this scene in particular reminded me of a scene from Casino where the uh, the local cowboy, uh, you know, elected official comes and asks uh, Robert De Niro's character to rehire Joe Bob Briggs's character. who He fired for gross incompetence or and or corruption. Wasn't clear. And uh, and they're very politely basically declaring war on each other. But like the, at the end of it, they were like, thanks for your time. No problem. And shake each other's hand or whatever. Um, and it's kind of got that sort of same lighthearted, you know, we're just we're trying to come to an agreement here, but we're at an impasse. What are you going to do? Time to try and destroy each other. <laughs> like um, it had that vibe. And then I'm really curious just about the nun storyline in general, because the nuns are now the opening credits like it's no you know in in the young pope it was all along the watchtower and you know lenny walking past the the religious art and now it's nuns dancing and i i want to know where that's going basically i want to know like why 
they've been given uh, this sort of primacy in the show. I mean, it does, it does seem like they, at the very least, they have been partying pretty hard um, because Don Cavallo, uh, Voyello's second in command, has them all followed and learns all of the dirt, um, which includes, and I'll, I'll do a brief list here, two of them are fucking and it's apparently perverted. One of them is a kleptomaniac, which maybe is where they got the first 90 uh, euro that they, you know, kind of like threw into the pot. Uh, and one of them is being abused and harassed by several of the others. Um, one of them is the one that we sort of know has this relationship with Faisal, the refugee boy who lives in the gardener shed. And uh, I, I couldn't quite make out. It seemed like he was implying that the abbess uh, was sick, had had some kind of was, was had a, an illness. Yeah, uh, I, I got the impression that like me, she might have had like a lump on her breast or something. Yeah. Um, and this scene I, I love because I hate, I hate Cavallo so much. He's so slimy. Uh, and he says to Voyello, I'm learning so much from the silence of yours because he says nothing to this. And then Voyello just says, so very much. Um, and Voyello's response to learning this information is really incredible because Sister Lisette is like basically clean except that she is the one who uses social media to like enlist other nuns somehow, which like, I, I don't know. I would love to see that hashtag. Uh, and then Voyello just takes down the Vatican Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's cold. That's, that's cold. It's dastardly. Like, yeah. and cause he, he doesn't need it. Like he, he has, you know, whatever other, like he probably has his own like personal hotspot connection. Uh, you know, and he's like, we're, we're an old institution. We don't need the Internet. And the nuns are like, shit, like this is what we got to do to get our get our protest out. Um, and they they seem to be at, at an impasse again because, you know, they say, if we suspend our strike, what will you give us? And he just says Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, you know, does this thing where he he sort of like pushes himself into the background. He says, I'm merely a paper pusher and that he'll sort of bring their issues to the attention of the pope. Uh, which does sort of call to mind all these boundaries that Branex has had. Because uh, you, you can't even imagine him necessarily, or it's hard for me to imagine him in the same room as these nuns. Like, they're just so far removed from him at this point. Um, and I, I found that really fascinating, that they're, like, sort of an okay, like, sparring partner for Voyello, but that they are very, very clearly being depicted as sort of being much lower in church hierarchy. Yeah, and I suppose the, one of the big questions is if they do have an encounter with uh, Branix, like what is his relationship with the, you know, the rank and file? That's unclear yet. You know, we've really only seen him deal with like the you know the the, the top dogs from the Vatican delegation that recruited him. Um, as far unless I'm unless I'm forgetting well, something. So he does he does have a very brief interaction with Surrey, uh, the nun who is introduced in the young pope right. as attending to Lenny, um, you know, and and sort of she says that she hasn't joined the the protest because she believes in him. She believes in John Paul the Third. She has chosen to believe in him, which I think is interesting, right? That she basically is saying like my belief in you as a person is standing in essentially for her faith in the institution, which the other nuns seem to have lost through their interactions with Voyello. 
I mean, I might too. <laughs> Voyello, you know, he, he, you know, his business with the nuns is funny. At the same time, he's also maybe a murderer? Question oh, mark? Yeah. Which, oh, I forgot uh, that that comes up in this episode. Yeah. 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 And you just get these, you, we just keep getting these glimpses of Bauer just with with no context. Mm-hmm. Just He's just eating, out there. Just eating, eating oysters. Eating and, and watching his, his, his date dance. Uh, they love dancing. Jesus, the show loves dancing. <laughs> Holy moly. This this last ending credits dance, I think, is my favorite one so far. Yes. It's very good. <laughs> just the, the, like, in character that he just kind of, like, pats himself, you know, like, uh, uh, smooths himself down and then walks off when these other right. guys are, like, watching a Sunday dance. It's really incredible. He uh, should have gotten down with the Prime Minister of Greenland, Greenland when she visited in oh, the last yes. season. Yes. That was a great dance scene. Yep. Um, yeah. But, I mean, there is – it's interesting because, like – we sort of know that Voyello is very talented at this game, but it seems like maybe Spoletta and sort of the rest of their evil brain trust has has beaten him because the minister of finance, uh, the Italian minister of finance after this meeting where he says, oh, we're thinking about repealing the eight per thousand tax, um, just gives Voyello this like creepy blackmail file that apparently is sort of sufficiently uh, bad to scare him. I mean, I think it's implied that it that it has some kind of evidence that he killed Francis, right? Like, what else could it be? Yeah. Uh, well, it could be some completely random thing, like, you know, that he had a dog that died and he, he doesn't want that to get out. Like, you know, right. like, this is such a strange show that, like, it could be just some little tiny personal detail that means something to him that wouldn't really mean something to the rest of the world, but he's just so mortified by it. But I mean, surely the, clearly the implication was the Francis thing for sure. Well, it's funny because it also is paired with the first, I don't think the first scene in the whole season, but the first time we've seen, uh, Voyello's friend Girolamo in a little bit. Um, and like, again, I, I sort of want to to take Sean's ad- advice and not speculate, but that really does feel like the type of personal thing where like, you, you just like imagine if those those guys like came after him, like, you know, I, I can't imagine what Foyella would do. It would be terrifying. Uh, but that, yeah, he has like all of these things that he keeps really secret. Um but yeah, it's real. It's real blackmail material. Although he does say, which is extremely funny, that often when he does this move, he doesn't put anything in the folder, or he just fills it with copies of the Napoli uh, football schedule. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> and he just assumes that there's blackmail material, and there always is. But yeah, like the the conspirators are basically trying to get Boyello out of the picture, right? Um, so with this like folder, um, with this blackmail, and then. Spalletta is basically trying to poison uh, Branix against Voyello by basically by like dissuading him from actually looking into uh, whether Voyello had anything to do with Francis's death, which he frames as like self-interest um, or as in the best interest of Francis. But like it's clearly like he doesn't actually want him to find out anything he basically wants to keep him away from Voyello like cut Voyello out of the whole power structure uh so that he can be secretary of state and also his like 
co-conspirators can have control over the Vatican finances, which, so it's him, the minister of finance and Sophia's terrible bullet head husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tomas the bullet man. Also, can I point out that like they have a glory hole in their house yeah, it's it's, it's a, a little like I I don't know. I don't know, I admi- guys. I admire the dedication. <laughs> at that I'm, point, like it, at the, it's just like you know who it is at that point. It's in your house. Like you know, yeah, like, that's, that's true. That's true. If you're doing remodeling and someone accidentally leaves some drywall out of the wall, what else are you supposed to do with it? I, yeah. God, I would I guess. I, for them, I would assume that the eroticism is in the power dynamic rather than the anonymity aspect of it. Mm. Um, you know, that's what it, that's what their relationship sort of seems to be about. Like, God, I hate it. Yeah, it, it really sucks. It's like, please uh, leave this horrible man and go marry the Pope. To be <laughs> very good. Uh, he, he has, after, after all, taken the first step in the everlasting garden of sin. Although it's funny because Spalletta does say... You know, he says, I wish I had been secretary of state, but I am fine getting this other special appointment as the personal secretary to the pope in charge of creativity, which is a a nothing position. It sounds like he's the guy at the start. You know, he's the guy at the startup who just like sits in the corner uh, and everyone's like, he's such a genius. Like he's our creativity guy. His ideas are (laughs) so bad. Yeah. And his ideas suck. It's like, oh, I'm going to get Christo to do a fucking big cross. Or what if you go to North Korea and like both times, like John is just like a bad idea. And, and Voyella is like, well played. <laughs> uh, but he he clearly has successfully sort of gotten himself in. And it seems like Brannix has agreed to appoint uh, Thomas to run the Vatican finances. And we don't really know why, although it feels kind of like a almost too boring to say like, yes, this is just going to be some like very simple blackmail or uh, uh, embezzlement. I'm pretty sure that's all it is. It's just like a power and money thing. There's no like plan to get some other Pope on the throne or whatever. They're just like, they just want to be in control of the Vatican money and of like policy and stuff. And they basically are uh, accomplishing that. This is going to sound weird, but one of the things that uh, I keep kind of wrestling with with regards to Thomas and the other uh, conspirators is that we're seeing, you know, a lot of his sex life with his wife, Sophia, who's a character I think we all enjoy and sort of admire. And uh, at least according to her in the first episode or whatever, maybe the second, I'm not sure, you know, she tells him he has one function in this world to give her pleasure or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like all, all this stuff, like, you know, or, her behind the glory hole or, or like her kneeling fully close so you can jerk off onto her like this is stuff she gets off on too which in a weird way like endears thomas to me as a person who uh is able to accommodate someone else's desires and wants to um he, he, he that that rounds him out in a way that I kind of appreciate. So it's not just like, cause Spalletta is like this drip and he, he, he said he has bad ideas and he, the Bentley thing is such a crass, like over the top act of bribery. Like it's hard to get on board with him and the finance minister, we just really haven't, we don't really know a whole lot about. He just seems kind of like a doofus, but you know, the way that Thomas's character is getting fleshed out is with the sex stuff. And that's very interesting to me. That's a, that's a, unusual way i think of sort of humanizing one of your bad guys <laughs> i think he's i don't know he's kind of just like a 
a horny wife guy. <laughs> like the scene where they're at that that banquet, he's like, "Oh, I love seeing you surrounded by other dudes." Um, it makes me like it makes it makes Swell my dick with- go big. Like, <laughs> um, it's just like, ugh, I don't know. He's just like. He's just like the guy who would like request feet pics. I feel like it's 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 interesting that you you put it that way, Sean. Because I feel like that is like a much more generous interpretation to the character, and that because I, I sort of had been thinking about it as he, you know, has this very strong bullet shaped magnetism, and that she sort of like gets off on the stuff that gets him off, um, and it it feels a little bit like her. At least from what I've seen, her like, you know, er erotic preferences and attachments are like filtered through the lens of like her, you know, like being his his wife, basically, Um, which maybe is unfair to Sophia. But it does sort of seem like she is like almost enthralled by him. Uh, You know, she's been seduced by him in a way that everyone is supposed to be seduced by the Pope. Which seems like so improbable because like he just has like zero charisma and I don't know. Oh, I disagree. He has a very specific yeah, kind of pretty. He, I don't know. You think he has charisma bullet head? This I guess fucking, so. like, I mean, DC comic super villain. He does have a Lex Luthor head. That's yeah. very, that's very true. But that's, uh, that's the type of charisma. Right. Well, I mean like, here's the thing. You know, we've, we've now seen him have like, you know, some sort of sexual contact or uh, interaction with, Sophia three times. It's not just the the jerking off scene or the glory hole scene. There's also the time when they like the you know have thing. sex over the phone, right? Mm-hmm. And like you know, there's they they have this uh, they've structured this sort of very Catholic remove between each other mm-hmm. into how they have sex. Um, and I don't know. I guess I find that kind of like fecund psychological territory, so that it, it's harder to write him off as like a one dimensional you know mustache twirling villain or as a kind of boring uh you know wife guy like maybe he is but sophia is such a figure of fascination for the show and for brannock's and i think for probably a lot of the audience at this point that you kind of like it's like the bit in seinfeld where like he discovers his girlfriend had dated newman and Newman dumped her. Maybe there's more to and Julie and uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is like uh, maybe there's more to Newman than meets the eye. And, he, and Jerry's like, no, there's less. Uh, so I don't, maybe there, maybe it is no, there's less to Thomas than meets the eye. But I'm I'm Elaine at this point. I'm like maybe there's more to Thomas than meets the eye. Well, it is being filtered through like because I I totally agree that all of this is using Sophia as the focal character, and I do think it's interesting to like take a step back because almost every she feels like the character who least has a specific agenda of the the main characters like she she sort of feels much more present of being like okay like the pope wants to do this like pr thing we're going to set it up and make it work well she just like does her job in a way that feels very sort of out of sync with the rest of the with the way everyone else operates in the vatican yeah well, she's the only lay person with any authority. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is her job. It's not, like, her mission. Yeah, her calling. Right? Right? Yeah. I mean, one assumes that she's... I don't know. We don't really even see her do anything particularly Catholic at any point that I can recall. You know, she seems to respect yeah. some of these people, but it's not like Esther. 
who oh my god you know very clearly like wrestles with her faith and <sighs> and, and feels this as a very present force in her life yeah and um she does some wrestling in this episode oh boy. Sure. <laughs> yeah i guess let's, uh, let's i mean there's not actually that much to say about take our it, trip to the yikes corner the development um of her story in this episode because it, it's just it's just a drawing out of last week's right it's like she goes back to what's his name the pimp and is like and he uh he kind of just like chews her out and he's like Oh, you're a you're just a Sunday morning Christian. You only want to do good when you don't have to get your hands dirty. You're like Jeff Bezos giving away like a small fraction of your money and then like thinking you're good. And uh yeah, and she really or he really just goes in on her and um she goes back and does the damn thing. And uh it's still shot like a horror movie and it's still really bad and uh uh, uncomfortable and not necessarily even in a productive way, I don't think. Um, and uh, yeah, that's Esther just... Uh, oh, there's the other thing with her where uh, Lenny apparently visits her. But no, it turns out it's the creepy priest and he's just touching a boob. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. <sighs> Shock. I'm, I'm shocked that that guy turned out to be a creep. <laughs> <laughs> what a he choice is, creeps is. in this episode yeah. like really good crop of creeps this year that there's that episode title crop of creeps, crop crop of creeps. creeps. that's the, actually like the next book in a song of ice and fire <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I i think that contrasting those two scenes is interesting because she's so uh, such a passive recipient of the priest's attentions but I just the way it's shot and and the angles and stuff when she returns to this uh you know this kid who's deformed in some way that's not entirely clear um she seems to kind of awaken to her own power like the power that someone who's being observed and desired has over I'm not sure if over is the right preposition but um over the person who is doing the looking and is doing the desiring. Sure. Um, I don't know. Again, this all feels, it's hard to explain why the sex stuff feels so Catholic to me. Um, but it's a, a lot of it is about distance and admiration. Right. Um, yeah. Which are really kind of core Catholic principles in terms of how one communes with God and God's servants. And it, it does feel like, I don't know, we, we talked a little bit last week about sort of parallels between Esther and Branix, because I think that he also, which is funny because he's the Pope, he also is a very passive character, and it feels thematically at least like the this episode being about compromise and starting to sin, like obviously has some connections uh, yeah. between Esther and, and Branix and that they sort of have both taken these first steps on a, a path that, you know, leads to maybe some not particularly pious places. Um, and I don't know, it's like very, very hard for me to think about this stuff as being, um, I don't like, like so much of the way that this stuff is shot, it, it just feels like it's like, and also, like, here are some boobs. Um, 
in in a way where yeah maybe it is the next the next book of uh, uh of game of thrones if you're one of the people who has that has that reading um but that there is this like sense that she is being forced into this place by by all of these uh, you know outside institutions and, and structures that like fabiano is telling her that she's sinful and the priest is telling her that she's sinful and so like what else is she going to do um and it, it just like it sucks real bad in sort of a, a variety of different ways um and I, I don't know i don't know like this whole subplot is like the whole Esther subplot is very bizarre mm-hmm. and it what they i think what they do with her character this season is really bizarre like the sort of early appearances are really promising because like this idea of like oh they have this miracle um but then her husband just left and now she's like trying to get by by selling her story to like tabloids basically that's like that's compelling um and it shows sort of like what's been left in lenny's wake now that he's out of the picture but where they go with this stuff is just uh, just kind of odd. It feels like they didn't really know what to do with her character. And we're like, let's have a weird sex work subplot. And without saying too much, it gets much weirder. I, I do I, I do enjoy um, yeah, like you said, Mary, I really love that stuff early on and I really like this idea of her being a like weird Lenny prophet. And it's a little bit surprising to me that she hasn't, you know, it seems like she would fit very naturally with all of the people wearing the hoodies um, in Venice because she has this like deeply personal connection to Lenny, um, which maybe is a, is a, a good, a good uh, way, unless anybody has other stuff they want to say about the, the Esther plot to, to pivot out of the yikes corner and into that scene in which in which the woman who is the leader of the cult uh, confronts the new pope. I don't know what to make of that. Um, I know. I loved it. She because she refuses. It's the same thing, right? There's this moment in the nun scenes where Sister Lisette refuses to kiss Voyella's ring, and she is sort of making this taking this like rejection of his authority. Um, which is also what this other this woman is doing uh, with with Branex, where you know he like tries to engage with her and she refuses, even though he's the Pope, and then she grabs him uh, and sort of uh, you know asserts herself over him in, in this way that makes him seem even more passive, and then she whispers in his ear and conducts this encounter entirely on her terms, uh, and and Branex tells everybody that he's not going to tell anyone what she said. It's wild to me that she didn't just get tackled when she grabbed the Pope. Like, I kind of figured that that's, you know, if anyone touches the Pope in public, that there would just be, like, Swiss guards ready to, like, just jump on them. I do really like the idea of there being Swiss guard who have, like, aviators and the, like, wire earpieces, like, kind of Secret Service style. I do like that. But otherwise, just dressed. Yeah, exactly the same. It's... it's another it feels like another repetition of the the idea that you know this papacy is in the shadow of Lenny's papacy and that there are people that the church is losing because of that yeah 
because Brian X is not. Huh, he doesn't have Lenny's like sort of macho charisma, um, which I think is I get probably the driving force behind like sort of the cult of idolators. Uh, I don't know. And I, I, that, that is one, uh, that's one aspect of the plot so far that I find hard to kind of fit in with the rest of it. Um, and I just assume that over time I'll get with the program. I guess. What, I don't know. What about it feels like it, it is incongruous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm asking what, like, what, what is it about it that feels like it doesn't oh, fit? Oh, in? I'm sorry. I thought I thought you said without a doubt it feels incongruous. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I want to. I'm, I'm curious what you, how you feel like it sort of fits or doesn't fit into the rest of the season. It's so oh, they're they're very silent and they're very uh, Lenny centric, and so there's really not a lot of ways into what they're thinking or how they're operating. Um, that you know, I think as opposed to uh, Sophia and Esther. Um, and even the dancing nuns, to the extent that we can consider that an actual aspect of their personalities, if not quite a literal inter- like representation of what they actually do at night, um, they they're they're wearing these sort of like big loose fitting, um, you know, sweat hoodies with a dude's face, you know, with a dude on them, like they're kind of defying that uh, the, the gaze, as it were. Um, and I feel like they're kind of, uh, really at odds with John Paul III, who I think in a lot of ways is sort of coded feminine, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, his, his, you know, his sort of passivity, his, um, his, his, uh, sort of flamboyant way of dressing, um, I think is like out of, out of a desire to be looked at the fucking eye makeup he wears in the first scene that we see him in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't have much use for him. I don't think. Uh, also like talk about good faces, like the face that the leader of the Lenny cult makes at Branix is incredible. It's just like seething. It's like bitterness and like a, like accusatory and like all of these things at once. It's just so intense. She, I feel like in some ways, and I I think, I think this interpretation is like a hundred percent not intended because I highly doubt Paolo Sorrentino thinks about TV this way, which is one of the reasons I enjoy his work. But it, it feels to me almost like she is the voice of people who are watching this season and are like, what the fuck? Like, why isn't there just more Lenny? Um, oh, that's interesting. Right, because that is a thing that I feel like at least I've seen in a lot of people's reactions to the season so far, of people being like, okay, like I'm sort of enjoying John Malkovich, but like where where is Lenny? Where is this dude that I love? Uh, and I empathize with Hashtag that. Hashtag not my pope. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love Lenny Bellardo as a character, and I love Jude Law's performance, and it does sort of feel like withholding him is is intentional and like you said and Sean, i don't know if you agree with this because i maybe am just speculating it feels like another sort of very catholic aspect of it that it's like it's extremely withholding with the the thing that we actually you know ostensibly want or or were promised at the beginning of the season um and i find that really fascinating and i'm sort of trying to figure out like why it's happening uh or like why 
you know, like Jude Law is in the credits and he, you know, is like an executive producer on the show and he's in like two minutes of, of each of these episodes. And that feels very conscious, um, which maybe it's a long way of saying the thing that you already said. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's funny that I hadn't really been aware that there's this sort of vehement uh, Lenny fandom that now dislikes the show because he's not the star of it anymore until someone replied to, you know, I think that I don't remember if it was the outlines tweet of, of that piece that I wrote, you know, and it was like, fuck this bullshit. Where's Lenny? And it's like, whoa, like <laughs> I, I just it never occurred to me because I'm still getting so much of what I got out of the young Pope out of this. Um, you know, it, it never really felt married to any one character, not for me anyway. So I don't mind it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, it, it doesn't. I don't feel some big like Lenny shaped hole in the thing. I still feel like it's very successful. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so I'm rolling with it. I don't know. And is that is that Catholic? I don't know. I mean, Catholicism is in a lot of ways about denying you certain things, but then giving you like a, like too much of a lot of other things, like the the sort of the excess of the liturgy and the churches and the cathedrals and the and the the you know the costumes worn by the you know the the, the clergy like um it, it, it is sort of the stuff that you can't get that you're denied kind of that energy kind of squeezes out sideways and leaks into all these other things that you get tons of you know and you see that a lot in portraits of saints where they look like they're like in ecstasy as they're being shot to death with arrows or or you know or whatever just contemplating their own sainthood um that's so sorry that to me i guess that that's that's the way that the, that angle of it is catholic you know we're not getting lenny anymore but you're getting john malkovich in these like purple suits and and just more cardinals than you can than you could possibly fucking stomach so many cardinals so many it, cardinals it does yeah it does um I would say that that sort of depiction of like saints in ecstasy as they're they're sort of being martyred is almost exactly how I feel when uh, people tweeted us about the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think that there's sort of one more thing that I I want to get to, which is maybe we're doing a little bit of backtracking, but it just is this really we've been doing I would say an emerging theme of this this season. Uh, for us is making uh, varying degrees of comparisons between uh, Star Wars and this television show. What? Uh, we did it last week. Wow. I you did. You did a whole. Out. You did. You did. Mary, you did a, a Yoda voice extensively on last week's no, episode. I don't remember that at all. Were you? Is that like possession? Were you? Should we get call an exorcist? No, it's a Force ghost, so I don't think that applies. Oh, uh, okay, it's I not see. The, same jurisdiction. the Jedi Exorcist, yeah. a Jexorcist, because um, <laughs> there is there is this moment where where Brannick says, you know, like after this this confrontation that he has, uh, he's told you can't please everyone, and he says, if I do not please, I cannot seduce. If I do not seduce, I cannot influence. If I do not influence. I repent. And then the, uh, sort of, uh, sort of the, the logical conclusion is that he's going to sort of go to the dark side. Um, Cause pleasing leads to seduction, seduction leads to influence, influence, you know, you see where that goes. Uh, 
and and i i found that really fascinating as a like very long way for him to say that he just wants everyone to like him well yeah i mean he has his parents don't like him so of course like someone who grows up whose parents are like not just neglectful but like we hate you like of course he's gonna want everyone to like him and that's sort of like his his whole arc so far has just been like um I'm going to show you, mom and dad, I'm going to be the pope. I'm going to be the best pope. Everyone's going to love me and like, fuck you. And uh, that's basically his whole motivation to me. Maybe the biggest question for me about him and about where the show is headed this season is, will we, will, when will we see another flash of the vehemence that he directed at his parents in that one scene? Right, yeah. Which is so out of character, obviously, for every single other thing that he's done on the show so far. It just sticks out like such a sore thumb, and I'm 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 really wondering like what in the Vatican or in the Church in general is going to, if anything, will push those same buttons for him. Like, will he explode again? Like that that's that's I'm very curious about that. I, mean, I feel like he was very very close to having that kind of explosion when he was thinking about Sophia and the confessional. Yeah, yeah. I feel dirty. I shouldn't. Uh, I feel dirty. I got to confess about that now. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else that we want to we want to get to in this episode? Merit, anything you think um, we're, we're missing? No, I think we've covered everything major to me. Uh, Sean, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in this episode? I don't think so. I, I'm just looking over my notes and just uh, on the episode and I just love the random phrases that pop up like the nuns want to fix the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, what a great note. Um, oh, the cookies. Oh, the cookies for God. Yeah. yeah. This this is an episode I feel like that lives in the small places. This is an episode with a lot of very good details that move that only slightly moves a lot of the big plots along. Right. It's it's a it's um yeah it it's a, a transitional episode is not the right term for it, but you know there's episodes that kind of line things up, and then there's episodes that push things forward, and this is kind of a lineup episode. I would say it's, it's a creeping episode in more ways than one. Lots of creeps. Uh, no, no Francis, no Franciscan monks in this one. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, there's, they're, hopefully they're still out there. The Naruto monks, we miss them. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's a good, good place for us to to uh, wrap up. So you can find uh, Sean's fantastic essay about the faces of the young and new pope on the outline. Sean, where else can people uh, find and, and consume your work? Um, I'm on Twitter at the Sean T. Collins, hopefully less often uh, than the, just hopefully not very often. Um, I have my own site at SeanTCollins.com where I link to everything that I write. And I have a Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash the Sean T. Collins, uh, where if you kick me a few extra bucks, I do a lot of extra writing about film and, uh, writing advice and all kinds of stuff. All right. And, and where can people, uh, where can people find your, your, uh, roadhouse? It's on, it's on your Patreon, right? Oh the no, road- the roadhouse stuff you can find it at shantycons.com. It's right okay, at the top. You'll great. see a beautiful picture of Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott and, uh, Kelly Lynch. You can't miss it. Um, oh, and I guess I should say that I'm reviewing, I'm covering the young Pope, uh, sorry, excuse me, the new Pope for vulture. So that's where you can find my reviews of the show episode to episode. All right. Fantastic. Um, 
yeah, I think that's uh, that's everything that we wanted to get to. So let's uh, maybe confess and uh, apologize for the sin of taking up all of our listeners' time with the new Pope as we sign off. Yeah, um, before we do that, just uh, go to fanbyte.com to get all kinds of stuff, you know, whatever you want. We got it, probably. It's there. It's all there. Um, you know, if you like this, you'll probably like the stuff there. Um, some of it's about video games, but not all of it. I promise. Just check it out. Go look at it. And uh, if you haven't listened to the other podcasts in this feed yet, Fanwith is the Fanbyte flagship podcast, and it features uh, usually me, Danielle Riendo, Nikki Grayson, and Steven Strom just talking about whatever garbo is on our minds that week, basically. Uh, we also do a show called You Love to See It, which is a movie TV podcast. And uh, yeah, maybe more stuff soon. So uh, check that out. Uh, if you are going to PAX East in Boston next month, um, or I guess this month, February, when this goes up, uh, we are doing a panel there. We're doing a live late lunch show. Um, so come out to that too. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Fanbyte Media. Not at Fanbyte. That's something else. They won't let us have it. <sighs> Bastards. I know. <laughs> The false, the false uh, social media pope. Yeah, it's like t- it's like the two. Yeah, the you have pope, an anti, you have anti, anti is fan bite and anti fan bite. Exactly. And and uh, and uh, before we sign off, I'll also say we have some very exciting uh, bonus stuff coming up for you on here on Papable Resurrection. Oh yeah, boy, wow. Uh, which cool. which we will will uh, will leave it at that for now. But I, yeah, I, I, think- I will. I will just say I was informed of what this is and people will be very excited. It's going to be gonna really love fantastic. It. You're going to love to see it. Um, great. And yeah, for I guess uh, let's sign off. I'm Eric Thurum. Uh, I'm Eric Kett. And Sean, you should sign off too. Oh, I, I was Sean T. Collins. And, Thanks for having me. Uh, we're the Pope's now. Bye. Bye.